My Fame Explained podcast episode 27, John Gabris. So frequently am I saying to myself, like, holy shit, this is actually my job. This is so weird. I can't believe this is what I'm doing. Like, oh, shit. At, like, every time you start to, like, want to bitch, you're like, ugh, so tired. What time is the pickup tomorrow? Or, like, uh-huh. you just got to remind yourself, like, dude, come on. You're getting up. They're driving you to go fucking surfing with a surf instructor in Maui. Like, that's a <laughs> dream. Just shut up and do it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. On this episode, actor and comedian John Gabris. First known for his work on MTV's Guy Code, he's had roles in many shows over the years, including Bones, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and TV Land's Younger, just to name a few. He hosts many podcasts, including the High and Mighty podcast, Raised by TV, and Action Boys. His new show, 101 Places to Party Before You Die, comes to True TV on July 14th. So here's my conversation with John Gabris and his comedy and acting fame explained. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for joining me on My Fame to Explain. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh yeah, no worries. Um, thank you for having me. This is... Uh, Something I've been trying to explain my entire life is my quote-unquote fame. So I'm intrigued <laughs> to try to do it on a podcast. Right, yeah, that's why I created the show. So folks like you could come on the show and, and, and tell, tell your life story. Yeah, oh, and, and, and I want to yeah. talk about everything you have going on, uh, including your new upcoming show on True TV. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about your life and where you grew up, sure. uh, what your childhood was like, what your parents did, all that kind of stuff, and then uh, go from there. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, let's get into it then. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I grew up on Long Island, uh, New York. Uh, we say on, not in, over there. And uh, I uh, am a child to two high school, quote unquote, sweet, uh, quote unquote, high school, quote unquote, sweethearts. Their age gap was a little weird, but it was, you know, the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and now uh, I was, uh, you know, my dad was, I kind of came, grew up in a blue collar household. My mom uh, my dad worked at Fox Five, uh, the the TV channel. He worked as a a grip in IATSE stagehand, um, and my mom went to nursing school after she had uh, her her, th- her three kids, me and my two brothers, and okay. became eventually became a nurse. Um, and so I was raised in a household of uh, very pro union, and uh, there was no weekends off or you know. Um, they're home after school or able to drive you to school. It's, uh, you know, those are real crazy, non, not nine to five hours, those two jobs. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I actually, I, I had worked at a TV station, so, so I, I know what it's like to be in the union and all of that. You work nights, weekends, holidays, everything. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's like the way that you can make money in jump class is by really work Christmas and get overtime. Like uh-huh. overtime was so yep. hammered it. By by design, and a hard work ethic, and a uh, of my parents seeing my parents bust their ass constantly, that also allowed me a lot of time at home <laughs> alone or watching my brothers to really also grow my curiosity and creativity. And uh, the re- the whole reason I got into my career was because those were the that you know the decade of my life where TV and video games were my babysitter. So I grew up movies, TV, video games, the classics uh, in the 80s and 90s. And that was like what I was doing every single day. And in hindsight, there was no way I wasn't going to end up working in entertainment, like based on based on that backstory. I was going to say, yeah. So even at a young age, then you knew exactly what you wanted to do, that you were going to get into TV, entertainment, something like that. Like there was no other like job no, you options. Know, I- no, there were, uh, well, the thing was, uh, th- this is with hindsight, I'm able to say that because, right. uh, my whole, my whole life, I actually wanted to, <laughs> to join the military or the law, uh, LEO. I wanted to be a uh, Navy SEAL. And then, uh, I, I was like the only 11 or 12 year old reading like Vietnam memoirs about, uh, SEAL team, uh-huh. uh, SEAL team point men, like chief doc Watson and shit. Yeah. And yeah you're like, this kid. is cool. Yeah. <laughs> This is cool. And then, of course, my the reason I love Navy SEALs and Special Forces and that shit is because of movies. 
But then I uh, decided that that's actually, as I get to be a little more self-aware, I'm like, that's going to be impossible. There's no way I could physically handle that. I'm a soft kid. I get made fun of at school. There's no way I could be a Navy SEAL. But I'm also pretty smart. Maybe I could be an FBI agent like Clarice Starling. And then I get to be, and so then I was going to be an FBI agent for a while. Uh, and that's what I thought. Until I pretty much like graduated college, went away to school as a biology major, but then found doing comedy in college, like joined a college comedy group and improv group and was like, oh, this is like way more fun. And I was like, all right, well, I'm no longer a science major. I'm going to switch to radio, TV, film, and I'm going to work in entertainment somehow. Not like my dad, like I knew I just didn't want to work like my dad, even though I would eventually be a PA for four years. I, you know, I was a little misled in my own head thinking I could be like, well, then I'll just become like a movie director or a writer, you know? Like, right, right, yeah. So, oh, so, yeah. So when you started your college, so when you started in college, uh, you originally majored in science and then switched to, to television? Yeah, I switched to, uh, funny enough, I'm old enough that radio was in my major, but I'm young <laughs> enough that we made fun of that a bunch. Like, oh, who the fuck's going to work in radio? But now that I'm 40 and mostly known as a podcaster, it turns out the radio major, the radio part of my major is the one I use more than TV and film. So. I know. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, because I mean, so many people like graduate college and they're like, yeah, you know, they never get into anything that they actually majored in. Um, but like you, I mean, I yeah. was a comm major. My, I have an associate's also in video multimedia tech, which back then was like not heard of. Um, and now, you know, right. you think about it and it's like, wow, that's, that's great because that led to what is such a huge industry now. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. That's, uh, yeah. And like, I had no idea at the time, like, uh, I didn't know what a, a career I knew I wanted to like help. Like we made a bunch of short films and stuff like quote unquote sketches. We were calling them short films at the time. Um, and like, I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I like creating and I like comedy. I got to stay in this world. And, and, that whole time throughout college, uh, watching movies and TV, like never left. Like that was, and playing video games. Those were like three things I just always loved. And I, I kept coming back to it no matter what. Even once I started getting laid and, you know, had a girlfriend and found alcohol and drugs, I still always loved TV and movies. That's the first addiction and the last one. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and w- so what was college like for you then? What, did you find it easy because you majored in something you loved? Um, or, you know, did. Did you find it just to be like where, oh, I know what I'm going to do for a living. I don't need to, you know, waste time on college. Like, did you party and have fun and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't have that kind of level of uh, understanding of what I was doing that you're describing here. Yeah. But what I, I definitely partied very hard. That's all that mattered to me was I was kind of, uh, you know, had strict parents because uh, I was the first child of like uh, parents that were never home. So when I went away to college, I was just like, oh, fuck, I'm on my own completely. But I'm also the king of like minimum effort. Like I love to figure out like what I could do to skate by. And college is a great place Uh to learn like what what's the absolute minimum (laughs) I could do before I get in like trouble. Like, for example, I partied so hard the entire time I was there. But in my first semester of college. I went so hard and I was like, oh, they don't keep track of attendance. I don't need to go to classes. I will keep like, how hard is it to get good grades? I'm a good test taker, blah, blah, blah. And then I had like a a guidance counselor visit me in my dorm room and say like, uh, your uh, GPA is plummeting and you uh, are running a risk of losing your academic scholarship, which was the only way my parents were going to afford me being in college. Yeah. In a private school. So I had to uh, I had to buckle down, but it was in that first semester and second semester where I just nailed down. I'm like, what is the exact amount of work I put in to keep my 2.85 and uh, keep my uh, GP keep my scholarship, but also never really try hard uh-huh. in school. And and I found it. I found it because it, it. it is. I, I'm a, I'm a, it's a little privilege because I am a good test taker and my, I, and I used to be able to remember, I still kind of have a steel track memory, but it used to be even better, but before the 20 years of weed smoking, but I'm able to, uh, so I'm able to retain pretty easily. So then I was like, Oh, if I go to classes, that's almost enough. 
like without studying that I could just skate by. I didn't care about getting really good grades. And then over the course of time, I, you know, with, I was a comm major. So you end up in the same classes as a lot of people. And then maybe you go like, Hey, are you going to take documentary film next semester? We should do it together because we're good at group projects or, uh, I can copy you. And right, one of those right. people was like this absolute, like a hardworking, like kind of teacher's pet type, absolute beautiful woman who's now my wife, but then was just a hot girl in my comm classes who I follow. I jumped from class to class with because she like, you know, you find the right people, you know, you, you That's find right, the yeah. right people in your life that, uh, that can help you out and do, and do good work together. And it happened to be my, uh, a woman that I would later date and, uh, all through high college and then eventually marry. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, um, you, you met your wife, so, Tiffany, in, in college. So that's how you met her, just by uh, being in a lot of the same classes together? Well, we met in Com Principles sophomore year. Shout out Dr. Jenny Kindred, our professor over at Marist College. Okay, um, woohoo. And, <laughs> and it was like, you know, you got to take like the five core classes together. So we were in, and it was not a huge college, a small little liberal arts school. Mm -hmm. So we end up in a couple of classes together, and we just start connecting that way, then start going like, oh, are you going to take Miss Veloke's film uh, theory class? It's like, oh yeah, me too. And then like, we still bond over our love of movies and TV. You know what I mean? Like most couples do in post pandemic or pandemic life. Uh, you know, we have our, we have our programs. We have our programs. Yeah. So did, did your humor then win her over in the end? Or was she like, Oh my God, you're, uh, a, you're a goofball. I would never date you. <laughs> she always thought I was, uh, well, we both had uh, others. We had both had significant others when we first met. So we had we were like put into that like uh, college female friend territory. You know, we were like buds for a while. So that let us kind of bond for a long time without having to, you know, bring in like the romantic part of the sex part. So we became sure pretty tight before. Uh, but then, you know, eventually we're like, shit, we got to get out of these other relationships. Uh, like, you know, I was like, I, who cares about my other relationship? This is important, blah, blah, shit like that. Yeah. But uh, I was kind of like the Van Wilder of my small college. Like everyone on campus knew who I was because I was like as, a, you know, just as obnoxious as I am now, maybe more so. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I like wore board shorts, I, you know, had... I, I dressed like the freak that I was and am. I had like this sweater with a big daisy on it. So she always thought I was like funny and charming. And she even quotes herself as saying when I walked into class, she was like, oh, this guy's going to be a problem. Like in a positive way. And like, uh, right, in right. Like, uh, uh oh, I'm going to get in trouble with this guy. So there's this like, um, you know, sort of like, <laughs> lifelong bond like it's weird to even be talking about like the beginning of my relationship it feels insane now because it's been you know over 18 years together so it feels like i don't know anything else yeah either. yeah sure <laughs> like yeah that. right i mean like yeah, yeah at least half your life almost half your life's been with her than than not with her you know together yeah exactly <laughs> um and then you're, you're and, yeah oh. and like who, who really remembers the first like nine years of your life right <laughs> right, like, oh. right exactly yeah <laughs> Um, and then your Boston Terrier, Arthur. So how did he come into your lives? So at what point did, did you guys get him? Uh, he came into our lives, uh, after college, I lived with some dudes and, okay. uh, before I moved in with Tiff, we just, I, we've been, to, we were so serious and together so long. I kind of was like, Hey, I kind of want to live in a post-college shitty apartment with some guy friends just to have that <laughs> life experience before we like move in together because I'm assuming once we move in together, we're probably going to be living together forever. So, you know, yeah, yeah. But, uh, we don't need to rush it. So I moved in with these roommates and one of them had a Boston Terrier and I'm telling you, okay, you know, like the expression, the only thing better than having a boat is a friend with a boat. Mm -hmm. The only thing better than having a dog is a roommate with a dog because you get all the fun of playing with them and laying on the couch, but you don't pay any vet bills. You don't have to, <laughs> race home after work to walk them and then in the rare cases where you do help your roommate out they are eternally grateful they're like oh thank you so much for taking my cute ass dog on a walk today and it's like yeah no problem so i felt and that dog bullet was a boston terrier so i fell in love with the breed and there's their intelligence and their size like they are wonderfully sized apartment dogs yeah uh, oh yeah definitely yes, you 
Arthur just perked up when I said dog. Yes, I'm talking <laughs> about you, brother. He's there. Um, he's like, oh, you're talking about me. Yeah, he's like, well, let me get on the line. Yeah, he's, let me he's get on the line. He's going to call his publicist to get in touch with you. <laughs> he, uh, he, um, and then me and Tiff moved in together, but obviously we moved to New York City as a PA and uh, and an assistant. So, uh, you know, it's two assistants, more or less. Uh, so we had no cash. So we moved in with a third guy, a buddy of ours from college. And we, we lived in a two-bedroom, the three of us, me and Tiffany sharing a bedroom of uh-huh. And he was allergic to dogs. So we got Arthur like eight days after he moved out. <laughs> oh, man. When he finally moved in with his girlfriend, we were like, it's time for a dog. It's, it's time like, for our Arthur. Rent <laughs> and we got, yeah, exactly. Our rent doubled and we got a dog like in the same day. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, then, so and then, growing up while you were in college, you had different jobs, right? Like lifeguard, and then construction worker, sports mascot, and something to do with wrestling. From what I heard from from your uh, bio, so were those all around the same time frame of your life? And was that all before this um, or during well, college? That that was a lot of different. Because the thing, the crazy thing is, is like uh, you know, like any young person, I did a bunch of weird weird jobs to pay the bills when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but with minimal skills. But then I, uh, then I, after I was a PA for a little while, I quit because there was no way I was going to like, I was learning that I wasn't going to be able to jump from being like a PA to a comedy writer at best week ever. Because every time I spoke to one of the higher ups there, they just like, couldn't see me as a comedian. They could only see me as a PA. Mm-hmm. Cause every time I would talk to, you know, it'd be like that classic shit of like, well, you know, the thing is with comedy writing, and you know, it was just like light gatekeeping bullshit. And I know it's crazy for a white straight guy to complain about gatekeeping, but it was some, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. You don't like, so I knew I had to leave. And when I left, I knew I didn't want to go back to like a full-time job that ate up all my time. So I started, you know, surfing Craigslist and, uh, you know, you run in and you meet some real freaks in the in the freelance trying to survive in the mid 2000s New York City scene. Uh-huh. So you end up getting like offer like you know you get in with like a weird promo company where they're like, "Oh, thanks for handing out flyers about shampoo in Union Square for fifteen dollars an hour for uh, 20, 20 hours this weekend. Would you be interested in dressing up like a character from the upcoming film Balls of Fury?" <laughs> taking photos with bar patrons and giving them ping pong balls to play beer pong with. And it's like, I guess so. Like I, it sounds better than, uh, you know, digging ditches or bartending or waiting tables again. Right. And, and I'm assuming that was actually up. one of the, I'm assuming that was actually one of the gigs you did, right? You just didn't make that up right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Right. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty you specific. Can really, you can really, <laughs> yeah. And you could do the, you could do the, gate mapping too to be like yeah it makes sense he was like 25 when balls of fury came out <laughs> and he looked kind of like dan fogler so of course he got that gig yeah um <laughs> as the heavy set comedy guy with messy hair um but the uh so I, i've done a bunch of odd jobs yeah lifeguard being the best job i've ever had to date and i've had jobs where i get paid to drink smoke weed and eat food and lifeguarding still the best job ever you're being paid to hang out where people like to go in the summer. I mean, it's, it's a, and, and there's just enough responsibility that you feel like it's a, an adult job. So it was the perfect thing, but perfect job to have from like 17 to 23. Yeah. I was going to say probably the likelihood of you having to actually do anything is probably very minimal, you know, except for then that one time that you got to rescue somebody's, you know, save somebody's life. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty low stakes, you know, it's not like you're like having to leap off a pier and like help a surfer who split their head open. But right. once you're a beach lifeguard, there's a there's a fair amount of rest. Nothing that's like, holy shit, like we're pulling out bloated car- corpses and shit. But there's a lot of like, light rescues of distressed swimmers and stuff. But just enough responsibility to feel like just enough responsibility that the job could be done by 17 year olds. Right. Right. Also. Oh, and. And another thing I recently thought about this job, which I never, I never really unpacked uh, until recently, was I worked with like a bunch of older people. Uh, like you know, I was a lot of college age kids, a lot of because uh, you had to be seventeen years old, so a lot of college kids. It's a summer job, 
But then there's also a lot of people who are teachers who are still also lifeguards because it's a really good job. And it has even it even has a pension. It's, it's a union. It's, it's a state job. So a lot of people uh, kept that job. And then also New York City and NYPD and Nassau County cops and firefighters also took this job because they could swing the two part time, the, the two kind of crazy ass schedules. OK. Um, and the, those guys were all like, I guess they got money towards their pension in. Uh, so, like, it worked out great for them. But that meant I could maybe be sitting in this when I'm 20 years old. I could be sitting in the stand with an 18 year old hotshot NCAA, NCAA Division One swimmer and a 44 year old firefighter who have definitely different perspectives on life, oh, I'm definitely sure. different senses of humor. But I want to make everybody laugh and I want everyone to like me. So I'm, you know, doing, I'm like, these four years I'm developing my comedy and I'm around more people than just college kids and just other people trying to do comedy. I have this like training round made up of like, you know, 50 year old surfers, uh, uh, 20 year old triathletes, 30 year old social studies teachers, hipsters, liberals, crazy, right, conservative, you know, people in hindsight who now I, we, I might not want to have a 20-minute conversation in the stand with. Uh, but right, right. At, at the time, you know, at, at the time, you're just like, they're adults, you know, I guess they can say that kind of fucked up shit. Uh, <laughs> you just don't have to participate. Uh, so, so I realize now, too, that that was sort of uh, a weird training ground for a while, too, because a lot of, lot of downtime and, and, a, and it's a... a mo- it, the job is definitely more uh, has more gender parity now, but uh, at the time it was mostly dudes and and some women. Uh, you know, it was like three quarters to one quarter. I think it's gotten way better. But at the time it was like you know you're just trying. I'm just growing as a comedian with random different audiences and like also random different influences. Like learning from the 50 year old Jamaican dude who's a pilot mm-hmm. about you know life experience and stuff like that. Like just getting to meet all these different adult people who by design have are on your level. Like if you're both lifeguard twos, neither of you is a officer, you have the same exact gig and you're 18 years old getting paid $17 an hour. And he's a 40 year old teacher getting paid $70 an hour. And you sit there and you think like, wow, we're like equals. And like, it, there's something powerful in that to, as a kid to feel like, Holy shit! Like, yeah, I guess this is work. This is a grown-up job if grown-ups are willing to do it. Yeah, when you look at, it, I mean, that's probably a great gig to have at that age, you know, for you. I mean, when, when you think it about was it, you know, down, like fucking good money, good, weird people. I'm at the beach. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm literally a lifeguard and a bartender for those summers on Long Island, and it's a great, uh, great job for someone in their, you know, early twenties, late late teens. Uh, and, you know, you're outside, you're tan, you're exercising, you're swimming, you're running, you're surfing, you're kayaking, you're paddleboarding. You're doing all this cool shit that people now do. I mean, that you now, as a 40-year-old man, I'm like, oh, I hope to get to the beach this weekend and do some surfing. And that was what I was doing, like, for 40 hours a week for the most amount of money I, I had made at that point in my life. And sadly, with hindsight, I wouldn't make that much money again until I was in my late twenties. <laughs> like, being a PA paid a little less than being a lifeguard is a nightmare. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was way yeah. harder, and you weren't at the beach. <laughs> right. Yeah. You were usually in a freezing cold studio. At least I was. I used to, even in the right. even in the summer. You know, you would go in and wearing like a sweatshirt and winter coat. It's like all bundled up. You um, had to. They kept that shit cranked. Yes, yes. Um, so then what was your big break uh, then? Was it the MTV show Guy Code or College Humor? or what? At what point did that come into your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I always feel like there's been, you know, I'm still waiting on that big break, I feel mm-hmm. like. But it's been, you've heard of like the expression death of a thousand cuts. I feel yep. like I have like birth of a thousand breaks. Like just a bunch of small little tiny victories that have added up over the years and kept me afloat and kept me going. But I would say when I left being a PA, a dude who was a writer on best week ever called me and said, Hey man, I'm going to be writing on the spike TV video game awards. I know I think you're funny. 
Um, I know you said you wanted to be a writer around the time you were at, uh, at uh, 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 Best Week Ever. Mm-hmm. And you know video games. So would you like to jump on this job? And it was like, in hindsight, I think it was like $220 a day, which was like, or like it was like $1,000 a week, which was like unheard of. I was making $600 a week as a PA. Then I quit and was taking home $300 a week in unemployment, which was slightly less than my PA salary, <laughs> and 80 less hours a week. You're going down. Yeah. Uh, but I, <laughs> I jumped over there, and that was like sort of my first quote-unquote break. I learned about a new facet of the business, like freelance writing. Like I got like a 10-week job. And I was like, oh, I don't collect unemployment for 10 weeks while I make money. Like, you know, I like learned a little bit about life with that gig. And then also was in a writer's room, had an EP that was like giving notes. So I got like a soft taste of what the entire like sort of writing and development business is, even though award show writing is something completely different. But it did just give me enough of a taste that I felt like that. And then I would say Guy Code was like my first like on camera break. I, you know, I'd done some college humor stuff, some People had known me from a few of those viral videos. They were super popular at the time. Right. People still come up to me to knowing me from viral videos. And then there's also like, uh, then Guy Code comes. And I don't know, I've now, you know, done a bunch of like talking head bullshit jobs and was a PA on them. So I get them. I know how to, I know how to work. I Like I know how they work um, and all that shit. So I was like, it wasn't a big it wasn't a big deal for me to try to do this job and then i didn't realize what it was at the time i thought i was just popping in to make some jokes and then it ended up being something that became super popular over the course of its time uh existing so i was like you know that was like an accidental benefit i thought i was just going in there for like i think i i think they offered me like a couple hundred bucks for the day to do some jokes or a couple episodes and then i would end up doing that for like six seasons and getting to tour, doing stand-up, getting the, you know, I, I moved out to LA and they flew me back to New York all the time for the mm-hmm. job. You know what I mean? So I got to do, I got to do a lot of shit that uh, I wouldn't have been able to do. And then that let me do other MTV two shows. Like, you know, like once you're in the family, you know, you're getting some, uh, you're, they're, they're calling you up to be like, Hey, you want to be on little Duvall's show? Hey, you want to be on Charlemagne's show? And it's becoming like a little economy and you're staying and people know who you are. And you're making some money and you're, you know, still all now, you know, still no non-union, no health insurance, you know, no residuals, nothing like life changing, but enough to be like, okay, now I'm cruising. This is where it's at, you know? So that has been really fun. And then I would say my third or fifth or 700th big break <laughs> was stumbling into podcasting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I moved, I moved from New York in 2011, having never been on a podcast. And only listening to like, uh, um, what's what, what was it called? This American Life, and then hearing about other podcasts, but never having watched them. Right. Yeah, and like then, all the NPR uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then so you don't know. I don't know much about uh, podcasts. I come out. Someone asks me to be on a podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. I know. I know nothing about Comedy Bang Bang. I'm like, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. And then that ended up being accidentally being like a whole nother break. Like I gained so many uh, listeners and fans that I, they inspired me to start my own podcast, which inspired me to have spinoff podcasts and which uh, kept me fed and sheltered throughout the entire pandemic. So I owe a lot to podcasting and it all was kind of accidental that Scott Ackerman asked Neil Campbell, who was, was there any new funny people around UCB? And I happened to be, had recently moved to LA from New York. So I was one of those aforementioned, uh, new funny people. So Scott had me on and it was, um, uh, you know, I still do comedy bang bang. This is 10 years later. I still guess the same character. Still doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which says more about my lack, my lack of ability with characters than anything else. But, uh, <laughs> I think we all, I think most of us know that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you've, you, yeah, you have done a ton of podcasts. So then you have, you know, the high and mighty podcast, the action boys, the movie buff. Um, and then, like you mentioned, you've done stand up, you've done acting. So, um, is there one that, that you enjoy the most, whether it's podcasting or acting, or is that like asking which kid's your favorite and you like them all? You know, that's a great question. Um, it all depends. There's everything is kind of fun in different ways. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to choose, but at the same time, like, uh, I just like, 
I like variety too. I don't mm-hmm. think I would be happy if I just did one thing. I like, I have ADD. I'm easily bored. Um, I, as I said before, I'm, I'm lazy. So like, I can't picture myself like really working hard on a book 12 hours a day. So I kind of need to have like 14 dumb little things to worry about. And for me, talking as you're, as you're unfortunately experiencing and learning right now, talking for me comes very easily. <laughs> I can just <laughs> bullshit out my ass all day long. Well, and that's good for podcasting, so. Right, exactly. Yeah. So then I just like, oh, I like, so I like meeting people. I'm very curious. I can talk for hours and on end unprompted. I have a bunch of varied, I have a bunch of varied interests. I'm a good improviser. And I learned to talk in bites a little bit from doing Sky Code and Best Week Ever my whole life. I feel like, again, like I previously mentioned, I was accidentally training to be a podcaster that whole time. Like that, podcasting actually holds all my skill sets in one. I don't like to be characters. I like to be myself. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm self-conscious about the way I look or the way I act. But once I'm on a podcast or on a radio show, and I've even done some scripted uh you know, like acting podcasts, like uh, narrative storytelling podcasts that I'm that are set to come out soon. That I'm just super stoked. Like I, I, I'm very comfortable in that medium, and uh, I, I think I, I I benefit from it. It's inspirational to me. So I find I find it, and like I've done so many small dumb podcasts. Not dumb. I don't mean dumb. But like <laughs> so many small podcasts for strangers. I don't know. Just because once it's like zooms. Like, you're like, yeah, I'll do your, like, haunted house uh, podcast that you do out of, like, you know, Oklahoma. Right, right. Like, it's fun. You meet meet some weirdos, you know, you chat, uh, you catch up. If it's about a topic you care about, like, that's exciting. You know, there's a lot of fun shit going on there. Sure, yeah. And I always think of podcasting as more of an intimate medium, too. I mean, I listen to a lot of shows, and I know that probably thousands of people are listening to this episode. But I always feel like it's the, the, the guests or the people on the podcast and myself. Like, if we were in a room chatting, like, it would just be the three of us or four of us, you know, and there's nobody else there uh, as opposed to, like, you know, watching a TV show or something like that um, or a movie. Right. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, talk radio has been around forever, and and it's sort of like, you know, comes from that school of thought where it's like, you know, we're in your ears. Talk, people are in your ears talking. It's hard not to, like feel like you're in the room with them you get caught up in it you know like there's that you know there's a, a, a draw a negative side to the parasocial relationship there too but there's also like a positive it feels good to throw on howard and stuttering john or opie and anthony or nowadays you know right right uh, andrew santino uh the Doughboys, like whoever you're throwing on you feel like you're part of a like a little community for that time oh yeah definitely definitely um, and so was your family always supportive of you in, in your career or at any point where they like, Hey, maybe you should try something else or maybe you should do something else. That's a little bit more consistent or something like that. Uh, they were never, um, they were never not supportive. They were never trying to get me to change, but they were also never really supportive. Um, it's hard to describe, like, I don't know how old you are, but uh, I was like, I think my parents' generation was kind of like. It wasn't until like my youngest brother do I think my parents were like, oh fuck, let's like focus up and like help like keep an eye on these kids and like foster their creativity or their uh, interests in some way. Yeah. Because I felt like, you know, like I was never told not to do something, but I was also never like, no one ever took the time to uh, understand like improv comedy or um, the stuff I liked. You know what I mean? Like no one that was ever like, Hey, this 15 year old kid is obsessed with movies and wildly knowledgeable about 70s American cinema. That's interesting. I wonder if there's something we can foster there for him, like film school or talk to him about movies or uh, set. No, none of that would happen. You know, like anything that was extra labor uh, was like not going to happen for me growing up. And that's okay. Because yeah. uh, when I got into my 20s, I never asked, like, no matter how much I was struggling, I never asked my parents for help. I never asked them to help me pay my student loans. I never asked them. So they couldn't actually say shit. To me. Yeah. Uh, I know that sounds like dramatic and uh, confrontational, but I mean more like, Hey, don't worry about my life. Have I ever asked you for, did I carry credit card debt for my, all of my twenties all the way up until I was 37 years old? 
Yes. Did I have student loans that were like, you know, that pinned me down forever? Yes. But like I could have, I could have done it smarter, but I insisted on just not needing any help. So like I didn't, cause that, the second someone gives you help, they have like, they can, you know, offer up advice or give you fucking bullshit. Like I just right, didn't right. want my mom to be like, well, I was, you know, I didn't have health insurance until the de- domestic partnership law, uh, you know, came in, came in, uh, for gay people in Manhattan, in New York City, uh-huh. like we we jumped on that, and <laughs> I got health insurance. Through <laughs> my like, yes, yeah, so I can get insurance now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I've lived with you for seven years, and my mom would be like, why don't you get a job with health insurance? I was like, never asked you for any money, and never, you know, like, so just let me live my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was important to me. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, now, obviously, you lived in New York, so that wasn't that far from Long Island. But then when you moved to Los Angeles, I mean, that's kind of like a, a big move. And that was probably the first time you've been out of lived out of New York State. Um, so what was L.A. Yeah. like for you? Was it always some like dream place, you know, Hollywood? Or when you got there, was the reality like totally different? And you're like, oh, man, this town can be really harsh. Um, or, or is it everything that um, you well, did expect well, it to be? Well, I came out here a few times doing comedy shows, um, you know, taking a comedy show I was doing in New York and bringing it to L.A., uh, you know, sketch shows, uh, stuff like that, Um, you know, pitch meetings, stuff like that would come up in New York because I was, you know, working in the uh, working in the business. So I was moving along a little bit. Yeah. So I I had some ideas and, and I had some friends from the New York comedy scene that had moved out here. So I had some ideas of what LA was like. And then when I would come out for like meetings or touring, you would get, you know, a, a misrepresentative taste of uh, Los Angeles. Like you'd be like, Oh man, I have meetings every day. Everyone's down to grab drinks. It's like, like, Oh shit, man, this place rules. Uh, well, yeah. weed is decriminalized at the time. Oh man, LA is fucking sick. I love it here. All that. Then you move here and you don't have the support system that you had in New York. You don't have all the random jobs that you used to get a call for, used to make a little money off of. College humor is not out here yet. Uh, This is not out here yet. Um, They don't know you at UCBLA like they know you at UCB New York. So all all of a sudden you kind of find yourself in like uh, a weirdly like only situation where you're like, Oh, I kind of got to recalibrate and start over here. I got to get my shit going. So like there, there's, there's always been that. Yeah. 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 I can imagine. Um, okay. So recently I was watching the Stanley cup playoffs and I saw a promo for your upcoming show on true TV, uh, 101 places to party before you die. So, uh, talk about that show and how it came about and, and all of that stuff. How fun was that to, to shoot and everything? Um, no hyperbole. We're talking dream job level shit. Like, uh, getting paid. Like if I had any other job that gave me money, I would use it to travel with friends and eat and drink and see the world and gather and collect experiences. Um, and so now to have a job that is that, it's sort of like, you know, you feel like you scam the universe. You feel like you're going to wake up soon and someone's going to take it away from you. Cause they're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. How'd you get this? This is too good of a gig. Yeah. Um, so it's been per- it's been amazing, yeah. Uh, we premiered July fourteenth, so we're right now we're talking in mid June, and yep. we are you know in the thick of post production, about to kick off like marketing and all that stuff. So it's it's really an exciting time. I have no idea how it like someone listening to this a, a year later might be like, oh dude, that shit came and bombed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I won't let it. I won't let it. I will. Re- I'll yeah, set all my DVRs. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Uh, I think like, you know, it's one of the, it's just, it was just such an amazing opportunity. And like the victory was the fact that I got to film it. You know what I mean? Like it's already a huge win. And I do it with my buddy, Adam Pally, who those early job stories I was telling when, you know, we were on an improv team together in 2005. Like we've known each other since then. We started doing comedy together and eating late night pizza and getting drunk together. So bringing that onto the screen the way we do it. Cause we never stopped doing it either. Even once we both moved to LA, even once he had three kids, we just kept our, Hey, can you go to Vegas the last weekend in June? It's like, I think I can, let's go. <laughs> you know? So we kept that energy up for a long time. And in the recent years, you know, our, uh, our two managers are good buddies too at different companies. Um, and so they, they were lifelong friends as well. So we've been, 
trying to like talk about that. And now we're all executive producers of our new travel show. We bought the rights to a book called 101 Places to Get Fucked Up Before You Die. Mm-hmm. Shot a pilot uh, mid-pandemic, which was crazy. We sold a travel show to True TV in February of 2020. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the, 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 the hubris uh, <laughs> is just through the roof. <laughs> And did they did they have any like after that were they like well maybe we shouldn't be doing this right now not knowing how long you know COVID would exist or um, or was it like too bad the contracts yeah. have been signed well, we're going through with this let's go travel and party well, and no, drink. It, it was stalled like a quarter it was stalled like a season okay four times it was like uh, let's do it in the spring uh, let's do it in the summer maybe the fall will be better and then it, it uh, died down uh, and we squeezed out a uh, pilot landing in Denver the day the day Denver list lifted the mask mandate for the pilot. So I I've in I haven't been on a plane in two years. I haven't been in an Uber in two years. I haven't been in a restaurant in two years. I haven't been in public without a mask on in two years. And I do them all in one day when I arrive <laughs> to shoot the pilot. And I just like rip the fucking bandaid off and i'm like holy shit we're in it now it's really happening <laughs> you were like i i am not gonna miss this opportunity i don't know how long this mask mandate will be lifted but let's squeeze everything in within that time frame right yeah <laughs> i don't believe and you. then and then they took forever to uh get back to us but we were like oh by the time they get back to us and we get picked up if we get picked up there'll be no more covid mm-hmm. long story short we got picked up and we shot the entire season uh in February and March of 2022. Um, so we, you know, it was still COVID. We're still masked on planes and all, uh, and all that shit. So yeah, it was a wild, it was a wild ride, but what a time to do a travel show. We've all been kind of stuck for a while. I know early in the pandemic, I leaned heavily on uh, Tucci, Padma, Action Bronson, Bourdain, Zimmern, Guy Fieri. I leaned heavily on them to see the world and see restaurants and see food. And I hope to be able to do that for other people, but we're not as informed as Bourdain about food or as, uh, uh, you know, well-versed in uh, kitchen culture as Guy Fieri, but we're funny. So like we just do comedy where we go and bust balls. We're both, you know, we have specific tastes and we like a lot of food and drinks. So we have some opinions there, but mostly we're just, you know, just hanging out in different... It's exactly what it's like when we travel. You know, it's a little bougie at times. It's a little low-class at times. We're fucked up at times. We're doing something that you feel like you're supposed to do because you're like, shit, we're here. We can't <laughs> go to Red Rocks. You yeah, know, like, just like exactly. 40... And then there's it's also being 40. It's like, shit, I need an IV. Shit, I need to go for a walk. If I don't get some coconut water, I'm going to have a heart attack, you know? <laughs> so this was shot over the course of two months. I don't know how much you can talk about, but it was shot over the course of two months. So then, what, like every weekend you went to a different city? Is that how it, it kind of lines up? Yeah, pretty, pretty much we were in a city every week, uh, okay. you know, like uh, with, some, with some off weeks in between. But yeah, you know, you got to travel, uh, do some scouting, and then shoot for a couple of days in all these locations. Uh, and, you know, it's cheaper uh, for production to do a couple back to back rather than sending people home and having to pay them for weeks in between or whatever. So, right. you know, the schedule is heavy duty, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, hard. It's a hard job to bitch about. And I feel like people know that. So yeah. Yeah. Like just go get drunk with your friend. Who cares how hard it is? <laughs> How hard is it? Right, right. How hard? How hard can that be? Um, Was there a city that was like a favorite of yours or one that you haven't been to where you were like, oh, wow, this uh, city or this place really impressed me? Yeah, as a matter of fact, a place I never had, I actually never even heard it, heard of it until we went was Moab, Utah. Uh, Okay. I had never even heard, like, when I, when it was on the list, I was like, well, let me Google what that is. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's sort of like, a, it's like an outdoorsy, mountainous region of Utah where, you know, heavy on the red clay and red rocks and shit like that. A lot of outdoorsy, base jumping, sort of like uh, people that time forgot kind of uh, people living there. It's great, great vibes, beautiful scenery in every direction. And just a strange city for two like New York boys who've never, you know, like 
aren't really outdoorsy to land there and fig- figure out what's going on. Like I've been to San Juan and Maui before, and those were two other highlights, but right. Moab was something I didn't even know what to expect going in there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was like completely different. Cause you're like Maui. It's like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what to do, where to go. <laughs> the fun to have there when you go to right. Utah, it's like, what, isn't that a dry state? You know, that's what most people would think. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's all, like when you have like segment producers and researchers, they're like, so where do you want to go in Maui? It's like, oh, it'd be fun to do something like this. Like, oh, I love this restaurant. Let's see if they can film there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then when it's uh, Moab, I'm like, hey, guys, I <laughs> guess I trust you. I, I'll Google what Moab is and give you some recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, you touched a little bit upon this, but uh, do you ever like wake up and pinch yourself and think, wow, I can't believe this is my life and I'm actually able to do what I always dreamt that I wanted to do? Uh, yeah, I mean so frequently am I saying to myself like holy shit this is actually my job this is so weird I can't believe this is what I'm doing like oh shit at like every time you start to like want a bitch you're like oh so tired what time is the pickup tomorrow or like uh-huh. you just got to remind yourself like dude come on you're getting up they're driving you to go fucking surfing with a surf instructor in Maui like that's a <laughs> dream just shut up and do it yeah. right exactly yeah uh, yeah but it's also, you know, it's a double-edged sword because now I don't want to do any other job ever again. <laughs> I told you, I don't like to work hard. And now I have a job that just films me having fun and turns it into a TV show. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I, don't I don't want to stop I, doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't blame I don't you. Do <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Um, I, don't is there, I don't want to do real work ever again. Yeah. Right, right. Is there any um, actor or actress that you would want to work with or any project you would want to work on, like maybe a dream role, a dream movie, a TV show, something like that? Oh, for me, I'm, I, I'm realistic. I'm hoping that I just get famous enough to get like my neck broke by Sylvester Stallone <laughs> in a movie or something like that. That's, that'd be the dream for me is just getting to be in an action movie or uh, a thriller of some sort where I'm not doing comedy and I don't even care if it's one line, but something action adjacent with some of these big names that I grew up loving, like Michael Mann, Carpenter, you know, shoot a movie with fucking Nolan or something. Uh-huh. You know, just, just I want to, I, I want to like hold a machine gun and look cool in a scene at some point. In my yeah. Life. Yeah, definitely. So something not comedy related then of, of all everything you've done. It's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, like, I, I mean, I bet you if you talk to, like, most dramatic actors want to do comedy and most comedians want to do drama, most yeah. rock stars want to be comedians, most athletes want to be rappers, most rappers want to be athletes, most comedians want to be rock stars. It's like the grass is greener in, like, every definition of that word, of that phrase. Yeah. Oh, yeah, de- uh, totally, yeah. And uh, last question, what advice would you want to, would you give to a kid that want to follow that wants to follow in your footsteps. That's probably like, you know, a big fan of yours, listens to your podcast, has seen you on TV and stuff. Say, man, I want that life. That's what I want to do. Uh, okay. Well, my advice would be when I was coming up, this life didn't exist. And when, when you're coming up, a life you don't know about, and I don't know about exists in this industry. I don't know what the future, like young kids now are like, shit, I want to play video games on camera for money which when I was 15 is what I, exactly the career I would want, but that wasn't a thing. Now right. it's truly a thing. And I don't even know if it still will be a thing when this generation's 15-year-olds or 14 enter the uh, job market. I don't know if Twitch streaming is, is as big of a market as it once was, if podcasting will be. But there is definitely another thing. I just don't know what it is yet. And neither do you, the person, this hypothetical person I'm giving advice to. So I would say... Continue to do stuff that entertains you. The world will come back around to you. Whether, you know, like if you're good enough, the world will be like, this guy does weird old sculptures. This person does weird old sculptures, but they're good. So now they're getting attention. Trying to predict where the world is going and like guessing trends and figuring out like, this is the future is web series. You know what I mean? Like we learned, we thought that for a while. Now that's gone. We thought movies are the future. We thought, uh, Stand-up comedy was the only way to present live comedy. We thought, you know, th- like you needed to have a guitar to c- convey something to an audience. Like we're learning new shit all the time and things are being invented at a rate we can't even wrap our head around, like Moore's Law level shit going on here. So it's hard to predict what the future will be. But every time you find something, do it. And I would say if you think you 
can only do something if you move to New York or move to L.A. and get an agent. That's not even true anymore. And I know everyone rolls their eyes and like, get an iPhone and shoot your own movie. I'm not saying that. That's still a lot of effort. Yeah. But what I'm saying is do the thing. Don't sit around and dream about if someone just gives me the opportunity, I will be able to do my dream job. Like figure out the shit in between that you're like, yes, I'd love to be a giant radio personality someday. But maybe for now, that just means recording podcasts that 25 people listen to, and they're all media friends of mine. But I'm getting the hours in, I'm learning my ch- and then maybe that stumbles upon something new that you like. Like, I never, like, if you asked me when I was 22 to be like, man, uh, would you want a job where you sit at a computer in your home office and talk to different interesting people about stuff they love or talk to two of your buddies about action movies for three hours a week and make a little money doing that, I'd be like, I don't see how, but that sounds great. And I think there's going to be, there's, there's probably like an infinite amount of those in our future. So like, don't bet big on the thing in front. Like if you know, like you can't make a movie, but you want to be in that world, figure out what your steps are. You know what I mean? And like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do the entry level bullshit. When you think you're Martin Scorsese, don't forget, don't be afraid to like learn from someone else who's like, these people don't spring from their heads fully gr- from their parents' heads fully grown and fully realized as artists. You know, you right. learn by making mistakes and trying hard and, and landing it. So don't be afraid is what I would say to young people. Yeah. I mean, I think we are in a culture now where it's a lot of instant gratification. So it's like, if I post something on social media and it doesn't get a thousand likes in a half hour, then, you know, it's not successful. I think you just have to grind it out. And even though it's a lot easier with social media, um, nowadays, um, you know, you just have to still put in the work and do the effort and it takes time. You, you just got to dig in and, uh, and figure out what it is. Cause look, you have to try hard. There's even like, there's barely instant success in any field anymore. So you're going to have to do it for a while. So you might as well learn to love it or find some, some facet of it that you love because you're going to be fucking doing it. Um, John, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck to you and the rest of your career. And I'm excited for the show. I can't wait for to to see it. Thanks so much for having me, Larry. It was a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate it. And yeah, uh, here's hoping we're we're having a conversation for season two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have you back on. That was John Gabris, actor and comedian. His new show, 101 Places to Party Before You Die, comes to True TV on July 14th. You can follow John on Instagram and Twitter, at Gabrus, that's G-A-B-R-U-S. And you can check out his latest projects on his website at Gabrus.com. Download and follow the My Famed Explained podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search My Famed Explained. Have an idea for a future show? You can email us at myfamedexplained at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Larry Gilbert, and this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfamedexplained.com.